Growing up Mormon, the outdoors were arguably as welcome as converts. I would most likely cite that as the influence of Utah, where the faith ultimately found its footing. But even in Las Vegas, there was a very prominent incentive to always do something in the great outdoors. Whether that was doing hikes or sports or even just riding bikes around the neighborhood. Mormons, Mormon youth especially, always find ways to be out and about. But there are very few activities as frequent as hiking, which again, I cite being based in Utah where every city feels like the hiking capital of the world, except Enterprise, which is just flat. There would be at least half a dozen trips planned every year for the young men and women, or basically any kids between the ages of 12 and 17, to be out in the world and either go camping or essentially go camping without the equipment. And there was a lot involved. Like the previous episode had mentioned, we had done tubing and waterboarding, rappelling, whitewater rafting, zip lining, and I'm sure there were countless other things that the youth had done and were able to do. But that wasn't really my scene, though. I was more of the kind of kid who actually looked forward to doing the more religious, ethereal stuff, like passing the sacrament and studying the scriptures. And the older I get, the more I realize how rare of a breed of kid I really was. And even though I acted like I was allergic to fresh air, the honest reality was that stuff never initially caught my eye. I think if I'm being honest, it felt too much like a time commitment. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home, a podcast memoir by M.K. Lott. Chapter 13. Have a Soup Pie. Something I do remember as being extremely profound in Mormon culture is actually the community that comes with it. All that to say, it was hard for me as a 13-year-old to move away from a regional group or ward to another and pretend it's just part of life. Around this time, I was struggling with bullying and my parents getting a divorce, which I don't say to see who will pity me, but I say to give some context as to how much the ward that I had lived in at that time meant to me. Named after the neighborhood that most, if not all of the members lived in, the Mounds Edge ward was something of a home away from home for me. If I was having a hard time or middle school felt like too much, I could always look forward to Wednesday night mutual activities or a Sunday church where I knew I would see the same people and the same friends who always looked forward to seeing me. And I could definitely feel when something or someone was off or gone or missing from the group. It was almost like things had suddenly gone out of balance. And with the move, due to unfortunate circumstances, it was really lonely for a time. At least until I had grown accustomed to the new ward I was in. But it was the kind of loneliness I imagine most kids experience during a move. They're lonely for specific people. I had a ward, I had my faith, I had my family, of course. But it wasn't this kind of ward. It wasn't these people who share my faith. It wasn't this family away from family. And some days, it felt like I had lost all the progress I made building these meaningful relationships. That is until my mom got a phone call. She had told me that the Mountain's Edge Ward was planning their next hiking trip and invited me to go with them. And I was a mix of over the moon and hesitant. I had never been on a hike in my life. 
Maybe a walk in the woods with the family, but that's very different from what I thought was going to be a trip around the world in 80 days. But I was reassured that many kids my age, many that I remembered fondly, were going to be there, and every single one of the young men leaders would lead the group and make sure we were safe. And if that wasn't enough to persuade, my mom didn't give me the option, because wouldn't you know it, she saw more value in me exploring the world than staying in my room all day playing Call of Duty Black Ops. So she got me all the hiking equipment I would need, and I was off with the old gang to the magical land of Havasupai, Arizona. Whatever the hell that was. I don't really remember anything about the drive there, but I do remember the first night where we camped out before the hike. It was really the first time I had ever slept under the stars like that before. And I never really knew that the world could be so quiet and so timid. The stars never flickered back into planes that would swoop in and disturb the peace, and it was almost like they weren't afraid to come out in droves. In Vegas, they're relatively sparing. There were so many stars and so much illumination in the sky that I forgot that my pillow was a literal pile of rocks, and I had to be up before the sun. At the time, unless my family was on their way to a grand new adventure, I never woke up on time to watch the sunrise. Maybe that was the pressure I needed, as I did in fact wake up the next day in surprisingly not that much pain. And in a giant party of roughly 20 people, we made our way through the canyon in one giant caravan. Despite having plenty of people to chat with, I was too caught up with the sheer size of everything to catch up with all these people I hyped up for this episode. The cliffsides towered over everything, even blotching out the sun until it was seemingly noon on the dot. 13-year-old me was just too busy being in awe of everything he looked at. The closest I had gone to a world like this would be a plastic replica of a cartoon from an amusement park like California Adventure or Knott's Berry Farm. But these were real rocks that just sprouted their way out of the ground and created this insanely surreal landscape to me. I had no idea that stuff like this existed in the real world. It was so insane, I caught myself having a staring contest with the squirrel because it was one of those things where maybe subconsciously I kind of believed that squirrels didn't actually exist. You know, like when you watch something on TV and you're like, yeah, no, that would never happen in real life. And then it happens in real life and you kind of like, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Yeah, long story short, I definitely needed to be outside more as a kid. But we finally hit a vital checkpoint as we passed through what seemed to be a village inside the hike. And there wasn't much that I could see. On my left was a small collection of crops and on the right was a kind of convenience store for passerbys. The one thing that I truly remember was I had never been in a place where there were more stray dogs in the population than actual humans. Once we finished saying our five second hello goodbyes to the locals, we finally made it to the campsite. With how popular I've heard Havasupai become over time, I would imagine we reserved the spot we set up camp very early on, because where we were would be worth a fortune in this market just off of location alone. We constructed our tents dead smack between two trees, so no matter where we were in the day, we always had shade. It was an environmental way where we had all the energy we needed to explore more of the terrain, or as one of our counselors called it, Ramboing. Most of our days from then on involved us climbing through tunnels and up rivers so we could see who could jump off the tallest waterfall. And clearly, because this was the first time I was outdoors apparently, I was in a state of mind where I was in the mode of, well, if I can do this, what else could I do while I'm here? 
because it did not take me very long to get overzealous with the diving. And I didn't know that until I stood on top of the tallest waterfall I could find and then looked down at the rest of the group at the foot of the fall, giving me one of those, oh wow, are you sure, kind of looks. I did a valiant countdown, I let out a victory screech as I leapt out from the water, only for my gaze to take note of how tiny the landing zone was, followed by just one thought, oh wow, this was a mistake. But I didn't die. The near-death experience episode was last week, so I, I definitely didn't die. That, that ship has sailed. The impact, though, hurt like a bitch, because I could feel my feet hit the water, go one way, so my torso started leaning the other way, and then my face made contact with the surface in just this nasty, nasty sting. And the best part was, that was the first experience where I looked back and I realized that was not the first time where I should have gotten more messed up than I actually was. Example number two only happened less than a few hours later as we were following the river downstream. Well, does it count as following the river if you're in the river? Does anybody know? Reach out if you know. But we tried to find whatever branch had enough integrity inside the water so we could trek through the least amount of problems possible and everything was dandy until I slipped off a branch and my light frail body just started to flow away. So the entire group tried to do what they could to grab onto me and make sure I didn't fall off of any more waterfalls while I just stayed completely still accepting that I now belong to the river. Though that didn't last very long once one of them grabbed my arm and it gave me just enough leverage to shift my body and find another branch to grip onto and continue my way carefully down the river with the rest of the group. Yet, oddly enough, neither of those experiences were scary or fearful. Maybe that was the naivety giving me a buffer, but I look back at those experiences and it almost baffles me that the fear didn't kick in until the night hike. Due to time constraints, we weren't able to hike first thing in the morning out of Havasupai like how we were able to going into Havasupai. So by the time we took down camp and we were prepped and ready to go for the trip back, we were just starting to get a glimpse of dusk. Before any of us took our first step, one of our youth leaders stood up and led a very, very stern speech with a very, very specific set of instructions. He was one of the first people I befriended in the ward and he always approached everyone especially myself, with kindness and warmth. And this was the first time I didn't feel any of that from him. We're going to be hiking in the night, he explained. Nobody leaves without a partner. Nobody leaves without a headlight. Nobody hikes alone. If your partner needs to rest, you both rest. Got it? We all nodded and immediately linked up with whoever became, by luck of the draw, our hiking buddies. And immediately, we began to see splits in the group as one of the main youth leaders stayed behind to tend to the kids who, over the period of the trip, just didn't have the strength to hike back immediately. And my hiking buddy and I were somewhere in the middle of the group, skill-wise, so we had the energy somewhat to do the night hike, but we weren't experienced to keep up with the rest of the group. And only an hour or so in, my hiking buddy and I watched the headlights and listened to the voices of the more experienced members of the teams become more and more faint until they just bled into the dark. And we were totally alone in the black. Now, Havasupai is a pretty linear trek. 
but there were still pivots and small forks to easily throw somebody as inexperienced as we were off the main course, and that was just one of the things I was concerned about. We took a generous amount of breaks and our pacing slowed to make sure we were keeping track of the footprints that we could only hope were fresh. But so many fears began to pop up in my head over and over again. Are we ever going to catch up with the group? The agreement was we would drive home tonight, so if we don't hurry, are we going to miss our way home? Are we even on the right track still? For all I know, we're going in circles. And because of these doubts and concerns, I started to think about the people I read about in the scriptures, and I prayed. Now, based on what I observed very briefly, and I haven't observed this with other religions, so it may be the case with them, but Mormonism has a very unique style of praying. It's not a verbatim kind of approach like it is in Catholicism, for example, but Mormon prayers have a kind of template and a formal voice to them. A lot of Mormons will totally understand certain kinds of prayers that feel like you need to recite them verbatim, like, you know, when you bless a dinner or another kind of meal. But there's a very specific kind of structure to them. And I bring this up because as a kid, I made sure that I had the structure on lockdown. And I was able to speak to God or Heavenly Father, as Mormons call him, easier than somebody who didn't respect that kind of speaking through prayer. And I definitely got my fair share of ridicule for that. In fact, I still do in some circles. <laughs> but in this moment of fear and uncertainty, I started to pray and all that preppy discipline that I had conditioned myself to do seemed to have gone right out the window once I started. My prayer started with, Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you. And to this day, I have no idea why I said thank you. And just thank you. But the moment I said that, all these memories began to flood through my brain. At the time, it was just some of the brightest memories I could think of, including a surprise going away party that the youth of the ward threw for me just before we moved. And it was the weirdest feeling, watching all these events move through my brain and almost being unable to control it. Ultimately though, I finished the prayer with, please get us back to the group. Please help us be safe. I wrapped it up with the word amen, and I surprised myself that I didn't take the time to speak appropriately despite feeling like I was going to accidentally step off a cliff at any given second. And every couple of steps, I would squint my eyes and shoot them open, hoping that I would hear another voice or see another light. And I got nothing. Squint. Open. Nothing. Squint. Open. Nothing. Squint. Open. Nothing. Eventually, I just succumbed to the reality that we were never going to catch up. So, we took another break and... This time, I had no real incentive to get up very quickly. It was just clear to me that it was kind of done in vain. And then I heard a voice. But rather than where I was expecting, either the front of me or in my head, <laughs> I heard it coming up from behind us. We both turned around to see the youth leader who stayed behind with the kids who were struggling, leading the slow and steady pack and quickly picking us up. And no matter who needed it, made sure that everybody stopped when one person needed a break and no one was penalized for needing the rest. 
I kept my head down so no one would see me tear up as I realized that my prayer had been answered in in most unexpected way. Now, here's the real question for me, and this is why I tell this story. Why would someone who left the Mormon church and has no desire in going back to the church still have reverence or even respect for the experience they had as a Mormon? I feel more often than not, a lot of people believe that if they're one way, they have to double down on that way, even if they leave their faith. If I'm ex-Mormon, then I should believe all my Mormon experiences were bullshit because I don't believe that to be true anymore. But it's what I think is one of life's most fascinating mysteries to me. The ability to find the value in events that no longer aligns with who you are, especially religion. Can you appreciate an experience where you called upon God and God answered despite not believing in God anymore? And I think more people would answer yes if they were honest with themselves. From where I stand with it, and this is why I decided to share this story on a podcast about hypnotherapy, I don't believe that it was about the faith in God. It was about the faith mindset. Something that is especially appealing to me because it's a mix of mental conditioning and an establishment of morals and values. That's what really made me consider my old experiences as a Mormon kid. A lot of those values I had as a Mormon, I still have as an ex-Mormon especially the power of gratitude. And that moment, I think, is really one of the first experiences where I saw that in action. Now, I'm hesitant to say that my gratitude is what got my hiking buddy and I back into the group because I feel like there's something more than that. But I will say it changed what my state of mind was in that moment, which maybe it had a domino effect to it. Because of the state of gratitude, we had taken a longer break, and we had a long enough break that we met back up with the other half of the group. But in my research of figuring out what's the best meditation type, or what's the best manifestation technique, or what's the best way to word affirmations, I've ultimately found that it's not about the technique. It's about the emotion. So whatever technique you choose to do, if it generates the greatest level of emotion for you, go for it. For some people, it's prayer. For other people, it's gratitude. For others, it's knowing that there's a direct line of communication between them and God or a higher being. But no matter what, I believe that you should always pursue and explore options and never discredit things that worked in the past. In fact, capitalize on what worked. And even if it manifests in a way that you weren't expecting, focus on the emotion, build up on the emotion because that's what'll change the way you think for the better. That's what'll make you enjoy life since you'll now be able to reinterpret parts of life over and over again for the better. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you and if you're interested at all, I am currently offering three free self-improvement sessions up until August 31st, 2022 for anybody who's interested. If you want to see your life get a little boost, feel free to reach out on Instagram at mklotprohobbyist, and I would love to help in any way I can. Thank you as always for listening, and until next time, here's to finding your way.